The ideas expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the views or opinions of any current or previous employers. Hey guys, thanks for listening today. We have an awesome show today. We have Patty Weinkoop, who's the Vice President of Purchasing. Patty is a top performer in the industry. We are super fortunate to have her on the show. Uh, her insight is just awesome. This is one of the few podcasts where Jason and I do a lot more listening than talking. So we really hope you enjoy it. It's a little bit long. Listen to the whole thing. The insight that Patty puts out there is just fantastic. As always, remember to check out truework.com. Those guys build amazing gear for our industry. If you want to stay comfortable all day, they're your guys. Check them out. Go to their website. Use promo code CMP15. You get a discount on your first order. It will not be your last. I'm telling you, Jason and I wear their gear constantly. We love it. We think you're going to love it too. Go to buildertactics.com. You can go to our partners link at buildertactics.com. They'll take you straight to True Work. You can actually tell us what you're doing to improve the industry, improve yourself, keep safe, keep other people safe, and you're entered uh, into a contest to win some, some great gear from True Work. So check that out. Also, when you're at Builder Tactics, don't forget to download the manual. It's chock full of information. Uh, it's only 10 bucks. It goes to support the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Also, if you've got a resume, send it to us. Go to the Apply tab at Builder Tactics. Send us your resume. People ask us all the time. We send resumes out everywhere, all over the country, uh, because people know, hey, these guys are getting resumes. We're sending them out. The industry is turning around. People are hiring now, which is fantastic. I know there's a ton of people that got furloughed, got laid off, or whatever. Now's the time to jump back in there. Remember, construction management is one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. So if you're interested, you want to get in there, you want to take your career to the next level, send me your resume. We'll take a look at it. We'll evaluate it. And when people ask, hey, I need somebody in Wyoming or wherever, I can say, yeah, no problem. Here's a resume. Hopefully you guys will get hired. Anyway, enjoy the, the podcast. I think you're going to love it today. Thanks so much. All right, so Patty, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I've been in the home building industry for over twenty five years. Um, pretty much started from the ground up as a um, production coordinator. Uh, came out of architecture school, worked for a residential firm for a few years. Um, tough you, time. Where'd, in the, where'd you get to school? Uh, University of Maryland. Awesome. Go Terps. <laughs> yeah, go Terps. Um, yeah, so worked for a residential firm that was based out of California. And um, Barry Burkus, um, as a young person, probably didn't realize how lucky I was to um, be working for one of the most renowned residential architects in the nation. So that was- Who was um, that, Barry Burkus? Barry Burkus, and it was called Burkus Group Architects. Oh. And they're still around, uh, I believe, out of Newport Beach, California, and they had a DC office, so I worked downtown in their DC office. I feel like we're pulling a lot of architecture from California across the country to the East Coast. Yeah. I feel like every time I turn around, I'm like, hey, that doesn't work in the Northeast. You can't put tile on the ceiling in an outdoor living. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, it's a thing. Yeah, so without, you know, so with a degree in architecture and not really knowing how lucky I was to be in that environment right out of the gate, mm-hmm. just graduated from college and um, starting at the bottom of that totem pole, a lot of the builders that are still in the Washington metropolitan region today were our clients. And, you know, and I was bringing down contracts and I was doing brochure drawings and renderings and 
on the boards just a little bit. And um, the managing partner of that particular office on the East Coast, awesome mentor, Bill Devereaux. He's still out there. And um, What does that mean, on the boards? Uh, drawing. Oh, okay. So, you know, you come in fresh and you get a lot of basic grunt work. They're like, hey, draw a door. door and window schedules. Door and window, <laughs> door and window schedules. It. Absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. All right, so, so you're, you're drawing doors and windows. Yeah, and I'm really managing contracts and um, just getting to know the industry. So, amazing mentor. And the economy was tough, and um, it was a time where multifamily housing and um, litigation were a big problem with condos. And um, D.C. was rocking, but California was probably sucking the life out of us. And so those proceeds were going to pay attorneys. So what were you doing? You guys were designing that houses here and then they were mm -hmm. building them in California? Yeah. Gotcha. No, building them in this region. Oh, okay. So it's just that it was bi-coastal. So, okay. you know, you cover the region. So it was national architecture, I, I much like some of the firms are today. Hmm. I got to tell you, anybody that's been in the business long enough or that is building condos, the litigation on condos is crazy yeah and the, the inspections and everything you have to go through just to build a condo building is just it's outrageous yeah so so, so eventually um they closed that office in the east coast and um bill went and started his own firm which is still operating today a uh, small shop does amazing work though all around the region and probably around the nation um and at that time I realized that I was really interested in not just the architectural part, but the overall building concept part. Yeah. And so I started talking to the building industry, and I was actually buying a house for myself. And um, while I was buying my house, um, ended up in an interview with the builder that I bought my first home from. What? Oh, wow. Um, That's cool. Which was a condominium builder. Oh, so you were buying the house and interviewing? Yeah, they just it just so happened that I had lost the job at the firm that closed, uh -huh. and I had gone out to work for a law firm actually, temporarily. Wow. And just, you know, to pay bills and what yeah. have you. And then um, the woman who was selling me my house, she said, you know, I think we need you. Oh my God, <laughs> um, awesome. She's like, I'm gonna give your name to, yeah. you know, our head of production. And the next thing you know, I was either gonna go sell new homes or I was going to go work on the production side. And um, my mom was having a meltdown. You have a degree in architecture and you're gonna go sell yeah. new homes. Yeah. I'm like, mom, new home sales is where it's at. Like. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of money to be made there. You're connecting with a customer. Like it's there. It's another stepping stone for growing into the industry. Yeah. And um, but they basically said, well, you can either get a mortgage with an income, and since you have no commission history, oh. you either can't buy your house or you can take this job or you can take this job. Oh wow. Talk about being painted into a corner there. Like, say you like this right house, corner. do you? Yeah. It was Guess the, what? You work here now. Yeah, it was the right corner. That's right. It was the right corner, let me tell you. So um, started building condos and, um, yeah, worked in the office, then went out to the field, um, built some single-family homes for a national awesome. builder, came back to a privately held, who then got purchased by a national builder. So I've been between privately held niche builders and national it's, builders it's off different, and on. right? So I've done the same thing. Yeah. And it's a totally different like, approach. Like I said, I got interviewed, this is years ago, for a private builder in D.C. And I said to the guy, um, he was like, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, are you going to go public? And he said, why in the hell would we go public? And I said, what do you mean? For the revenue. And he was like, the second we go public, we're now beholden to everybody that owns this company. He's like, we make our own decisions. And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, and that, that gives you a whole different platform to operate from, it really right? Did. Well, they mean, were, it makes you, your decisions in the long run change, I would assume, right? Well, they did. Well, they considered um, what they were building to be art. 
So mm-hmm. every community was art. I do. I do as well. Everything I do is artwork, especially this podcast for the record. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You must be starving. Yeah, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible artist. There's nothing I can do about that. Well, you know, you can appreciate it, but you don't have to hang it in your house. There you go. <laughs> so let's, let's jump forward a little bit because now you're vice president of, uh, you know, you went from drawing windows and doors <laughs> to now you're vice president of purchasing for a pretty substantial uh, geographic footprint. And how do you make Definitely. that? How do you make that leap? How do you jump into that role? I am so blessed to have had amazing mentors mm. at what I'll say was somewhat of a smaller scale, but with an unbelievable influence. So for being privately held, but still producing anywhere from three to five hundred houses a year, and always having a land development arm. What do, what do you mean? So you're home. You're working for a home builder, right? But yet they've got a true partner who's feeding lots and is pretty dedicated so it's not a guarantee every time that you're going to get the home side deals of those land deals that are in that pipeline now sometimes you get them because you're the last resort and nobody else wants that land deal (laughs) but but when you're a niche builder or a specialty builder or a privately held you also have a tendency to make your place in the market based on what everybody else won't do because they can't make money doing it they're used to having a particular footprint and a subscription and they they thrive on that because that repetition is also huge value right that's where you're making your money Um, now our marketplace has a tendency to push other marketplaces will sometimes push you because of land constraints and you're not always going to get something that accommodates what your repertoire includes currently so then you have to be nimble enough to adjust to get that land deal so when you find that balance of a builder who appreciates design and knows how to carve out their space to be competitive and not lose money while they're doing it. So I feel like at this stage in my career, I've been so lucky to have that exposure where smart people were leading me through experiences at a smaller scale where I got to be close to that experience. In every discipline within the organization, I was working closely with marketing and sales teams. I was working closely with production teams. I was working closely with the land teams and acquisition. And so you get to see a little bit more of that behind the scenes and what makes everybody else tick. That collaboration, I think, is what makes a company so successful. 100%. You know, that's the one thing that sucks. I know a lot of guys in the industry that are like, I do this. And they've almost got like blinders on. And then when they, they, like a complex problem comes up, they have no idea how to solve it if it's outside of like the sticks and bricks of what they're doing. So it's that, you know, being willing and having the opportunity to kind of like cross train or collaborate with other yeah. parts of the industry because construction is not just sticks and bricks. Sure. You know, there's so much to it. So that really, I think that makes more for a much more well-rounded. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we talk a lot about good leaders and good managers and what it means in this biz. And I feel like a lot of the time, especially when you move up from just the first level, anybody who's got a lot of tools in their toolbox tends yeah. to be a, a better manager of whatever it is. It doesn't matter. You can't only look at it from one perspective and have a good look at what the real problems are and the solutions and how to get past those things. Um, but you can do that when you've got it, when you've got a view, we've got a history of views from different perspectives. For sure. Mm-hmm. Accuracy and architecture for the purpose of bid sales and construction and how important that that is to all things. Like mm-hmm. if you want a good customer satisfaction rating, 
you have to tell them what they're going to get and then you have to give them what you told them. And the only way that that works is if the paperwork is right. It's a fact. So I just want to talk about that. There's an industry cliche. Time, cost, quality, pick two. Drives me crazy. What is it? What's the cliche? Time, cost, quality, pick two. What's pick two? It means you, you get can't to, have you, all three. You can't have all three. And that's time. Bull. Oh, time. Oh, I thought you were saying like time, time costs cost. us. No, 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 time. You can have like time, time cost, cost quality. quality, pick two. Yeah. It, it makes me nuts. That I does want make all, you I nuts. I want all three and then some. I want, yeah, so exactly. Let's, so let's talk yeah. about that because, you know, you've got time constraints, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so people say. So just walk us through the, the purchase because you're, you know, one of the things that you're in charge of is purchasing. Mm-hmm. So talk us through that because. I, I, I slam a couple of sets of plans in front of you. We'll call them 75% complete. Right. Yeah, that's tough. I tell you, you got, I want to start this job in three months. Yesterday. Go. <laughs> you know, right, right. How do you, what do you, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, do we're going to sell from a hole in the front yard and you're going to build six models and 15 QDs. Yeah. Go. If, if we're truly from scratch and there's nothing in place at an existing community or something like that, and you're, let's say your trade base isn't already established, uh-huh. I'm going to um, get with, the production team pretty quickly and we're going to stand up a bid invitation list and we're all going to be on the same page and I'm going to say hey listen if we invite these folks to bid you need to be prepared to say yes to them so let's assume everybody's bids come back equal and somebody has the best number by five dollars fifty dollars five hundred dollars but you really want this guy but we invited all three and they really are equal and they could do as good a job as a purchasing person, I'm always going to tell you it's our responsibility. Unless there's other constraints for like stretching them too thin or whatever that might be, you have to pick the most cost effective. That is the responsibility of us to our companies. If all things are equal, you have to be prepared to accept that bid. How often though are they are all things equal? Well, if you put stuff out to bid and you check the scopes of work as they come back and you do everything in your power to proof it on paper to the best of our ability, mm-hmm. knowing that still something in the field is not gonna play out exactly the same yeah. way, and then you adjust from there, you still have a point of measurement. You have a jumping off point. So if you go out for bid, everything comes back, you set it up and then you go and then you have to make changes, you can measure yourself from where you were to where you need to adjust. If you are a mess when things get started, you will stay a mess the entire time. Maybe you might get an opportunity to catch up. Maybe you'll catch up in certain trades or phases of construction. But if it gets beyond where people can measure where we started from, you'll be off track almost the entire time. And you'll see it in the prof at the end of every job. I believe that is a pro forma you're referring yes, to. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, let me, so let me ask you a question because yeah, I, was gen- I owned my own general contracting company years ago. and uh, Did you? I did. You never mentioned I that. I think I've mentioned it once. You mentioned it every 10 seconds. <laughs> well, I, I, I would bring it up because, so I've seen things from like the general contractor point of view as well as the subcontractor point of view because mm-hmm. um, I, did, I did both. And I don't know if I mentioned that, Jason. I, I know you both. did. You mentioned that. Um, <laughs> And I know that, like, when I would turn in, you know, an estimate or a bid or whatever, I never knew, you know, because you, you, I won't say you turn it in blind, but you're like, you hope you got everything. Mm-hmm. So if you get a couple different bids and they're different, I mean, what do you do? do how, how much of a chance do you, do you go back to the, the vendor and say, hey, this isn't right or this isn't right? I mean, how long do you mess around with it before you just... You find all kinds of cryptic ways to communicate with them without sharing other people's numbers, being respectful of your other trade partners and balancing between 
not saying, hey, you're super low or you're super high, but something doesn't make sense here. Yeah. And, and you know what? Over the years, I've learned to just have candid, honest conversations with people and say, listen, I'm struggling with this. Or they've chosen to take a different approach, and why did they choose that? And then you have to make a decision. But when they don't start apples to apples, that does make it a little bit harder to reconcile where the differences yeah. are. Um, but you can, right out of the gate, you just look for takeoffs, unit pricing, start there. Start with the basics. See if everybody has the quantity of materials, and where are the discrepancies and why. It could be waste factor. It could be that they chose to execute a detail slightly differently. When you, and you also typically know these partners and you have a tendency to start to know their work styles and where they also might be stronger with a particular product type. You know, they don't like to be put in boxes, but some guys are great at multifamily. Some guys yeah. want attached products. Some guys love single family. And I like to put people in their environment where they thrive as well, because if we can make them successful, they make us successful. Yeah, and so we work for the builder. I tell every purchasing person, first and foremost, your builder. Second, your job is the advocate to your trade partner, because if you don't set them up to win, none of us will. And it's all true. So I believe all these things. It sounds great. It sounds a little bit flowery, but you have to start there in your mind. And I also joke with all the purchasing managers too. Everybody's a consumer, right? I could bring anybody in off the street. And I say, if you were making this decision for you, what would you do? And that is how you should look at every deal that you make. Yeah. And it's different if you're making your decision for one or 50 or 500. And you should factor that in. So we get right. we get zoned in on a house type and evaluating that house type. But then you have to look at mix across the entire board of the community. And then you also might start to pick your battles. Maybe one house is a little bit out of sync in its pricing, but overall this trade partner is the best value for the community in its entirety. Yeah. So then you have to evaluate it based on the mix and how many units. It's, it's funny, it's just like we deal with problems as CMs in the job site too. I mean, you make a decision, you wanna clear it with the company, you wanna decide whether it's right for the community, that particular client, is it going to affect you over the next 10 or 12 homes on that street? How many of them of that model do you have if you're modifying this thing? It's a good example of you have to take into consideration all the factors. I can't imagine the number of factors that you deal with across multiple states trying to contract different home types and different communities and all that stuff. I mean, it's got to be just tremendous. Sounds easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and making mistakes, great way to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so how do you balance? Um, so, because there's a big, you know, people, you mentioned the three, was it cost? Time, cost, quality. Time, cost, quality. How do you balance the three of that? Well, every industry guru will tell you that the price that you get in that bid is not necessarily the price. You have to yeah. measure it over its time. You just said something that I, I didn't understand. So you said you have to weigh the cost over time what do you mean because what, you that know, low mean? bid may not at the end of the day yield you the least costly result let's say it ends up killing you in warranty oh that's what, okay that's or what in time like let's say that guy takes forever and yeah. some builders time is money oh, there are God, certain yeah. companies where that maybe isn't the agenda maybe the way they finance their land deals is different and maybe hurrying up is not something they have to hang their hat on. Yeah. Whereas others that it's all about time. Yeah, Every single day yeah, is a if, dollar. If they miss a day, they will not, won't be successful. That's right. You know? you know, it's funny. I was just talking to a builder, um, a local guy in Maryland. And, uh, we were just talking cause I was trespassing on his property, <laughs> looking at the house he was building. Oh my goodness. And I said, uh, 
man, you, you guys have been taking forever. And I didn't, I wasn't, we were just kind of talking. And, and he he's, goes, like, he's like, screw you, buddy. Why don't you, why don't well, you get out of here? This is a building company, not a one-off. <laughs> no, no, it's a company, a small okay. company. Yeah, and uh-huh. he was like, I, and I know him, but he was like, he was like, so what? He said, when we're done, we're done. I'm yeah. not coming back to this house. And I was like, oh, like, really? What, what's that like? And he's like, when I'm done, this house is done. Perfect. <clears throat> I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And he was like, we take our time to make sure everything is right. And I was mm-hmm. like, good for you. But he also owned the land outright. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. You know, he wasn't, he doesn't have uh-huh. some of the constraints. Yeah, of course. But don't you that. wish he had the mindset that if he did go a little bit faster, yeah, he's, he's just putting more money in his pocket. He really <laughs> would be saving money. But, but he doesn't need to. He's thinking about his lifestyle and he knows what he needs to do to survive or whatever that might yeah. be. And, 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 and like you said, in the, in the long term, he might be grabbing every penny that he can by doing it slow and making sure it's perfect. Let's get back to this. So you've got, uh, you know, you get all these bids and then they all come back and you've decided on who you're going to, uh, to choose. Mm-hmm. Now, over the years, you build relationships with, with vendors. Yeah. And one of the hardest things, I think... And I don't have to do it, fortunately, but I mean, you got to call these guys that you've got a relationship with them and tell them, sorry, you didn't get it. It's almost like breaking up with your girlfriend on every project. How do you, how do you do that? I will tell you that my entire career, I have seen this done really badly. Oh, wow. I guarantee it. it I bet. And believe it or not, it's a huge time investment to actually award the contract and to communicate and to make the adjustments and get that in place. And that is where, by default, all your energy gets placed. And as you're doing that, you're not stopping to tell somebody that they didn't get the job quite yet because you don't want to take that out of your back pocket. And I'm just being honest. And I don't mean that by being disrespectful to the vendors. But sometimes you just don't know where that deal's going to go. There could be one thing that all of a sudden you go, yeah, and you've got this in your bid, right? And they go, what? We didn't put that in our bid. And all of a sudden, everybody who didn't look like they were in the ballpark, everybody's back in the same ballpark. And you, so you don't want to be too quick to pull that trigger. And then at the same time, we should take the time and go back. Now, also, what starts to happen is word gets out on the street, whether that is because things need oh, to yeah. start or <laughs> your construction management team is also wanting that feedback. And then people just talk. We're a very close-knit industry. That's, yeah, yeah. again, one of the positives of what we do for a living. So as large as we can be across the nation, it's also an incredibly small world. It really is. We all follow the same philosophies of people who have done it well over the years. We want to learn from them. And everybody talks and everybody listens and we have similar experiences. It doesn't matter where you are. But that is the hardest part, especially when they are your partners. But whether it's with architects or trade partners, any scope of work, they're all, I try to treat them all as if they are number one and there is enough work to go around. And I try to always know what their current workload is across the board. I watch for things that are finishing. I watch for when they're falling out. Try to keep that pipeline filled for them. And sometimes that will play a role in a decision making. So if everything is equal, then I might go, wow, who needs the work? You know, it's it's funny you say that. Or geography. Yeah. That's true too, yeah. Driving uh, distance in general. I I know Jason and I have joked in the past about some builders – um, we'll take the best subcontractor, the best trade partner in the world, and ruin them. Oh, drive them into the ground. Just by giving them so much work, they can't possibly be successful. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. We see that a lot. I, I, I've seen that over and over and over again in the past 20 years. And yeah. be smart and strategic about how you 
place them because also if you can gain efficiency by keeping them all within a radius, you also might be able to negotiate dollars based on that efficiency because they're going to have a supervisor in the yeah, area. And definitely. we know how tough labor is now. And to keep costs controlled. Yeah. Because right now, you know, we had a few years where materials were just rising, constantly rising every day. It was like everything. I remember. You couldn't keep it contracted and you had to be um, adjusting everything. But now it's labor, skilled labor. Yeah. And so the quality, and I always like to also try and select materials where people touch it as few times as possible. Because the more you touch something or the more layers of material that you put in a building detail, the more opportunity there is for failure. What do you mean? What do you mean when you, when you say touching? What do you mean? So, so, um, so okay, zip wall versus uh -huh. um, wall sheathing and house wrap. Okay. okay. And then somebody comes back and cuts a hole. And then the next thing oh. you know, you got to repair the paper. And then the next thing you know, you got a flash event. And then the next thing you know, so you get something like a zip wall where everything's integral to the board and nobody can mess it up and the penetration is filled and the odds are a little bit more in your favor. Things like that. So yeah. for all the layers of cornice and as many things right. that you can find that become turnkey. Oh my God, it's the best. The better, the best. yeah, and super, super trades. Like if you can create a super trade, back in the condo days, I used to have a guy who came from drywall, paint, trim. After the building was under roof, yeah, everybody could have left for like the next three weeks. And awesome. One it. trade it was fantastic. in there and they were responsible for everything the rest of the way through. Mm -hmm. The perfect world is a purchasing team yeah. that collaborates with a production team. Amen, sister. So if you are um, working hand in hand from, so as much as somebody can be available at the early stages of standing up a job, mm -hmm. even if you can't be there the entire purchasing process, at yeah. each milestone, you check in with your production team whether it's an area production manager, mm -hmm. a, a construction manager, whoever is representing that product at that time, whoever the expert is, yeah. the feedback that we get when we do a spec review, even before we kick out for bid packages, mm -hmm. we can make quick adjustments on the fly. How do you want to build this? Oh, that's a great detail. Here's where we've had success. Here's what we've run into trouble on. Here's what gets missed every time. Every single time you take that next step and the evolution of that product, I always want to fix each round of what we've learned every single time. Right. Love it. So. It's great. Just keeps improving. What yeah. do you do when you have incomplete? So I had uh, years ago, I had a, a company and they were like, hey, they sent me a set of plans and they were like 30%. <clears throat> yeah, that's bad. And they're like, you didn't have all the information you needed? No. That's so weird. I know. And that was like, I can't, I can't give you a price based on these plans. And they're like, ballpark it. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not, I can't do that because I'm going to ballpark it. And you're going to take that ballpark and you're going to hold me to it. And they were like, no, no, we won't. We've just, we're just trying to get an idea of what we think this is going to cost. And I've done I, experiments over the years. What we've There's all kinds of names for it, blitz bid, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Schematic drawings. You'll take schematic hand drawings still and just send them out. A lot of stuff, you can count windows. If you have your sure. unit pricing, you can count doorknobs. Um, you can even take linear footage of wall and probably get pretty good with studs. Where you're going to cave is on your structural stuff. You're going to get caught on concrete. Mm -hmm. You're going to get caught on panels, floor trusses, roof trusses. You're not going to know where all of your structure is, what size it is. Now, a lot of people have a really strong innate ability to see what those elements are. But until you're really done with that part, so you can probably price out almost everything else 
that is a measured takeoff mm -hmm. if you have a really good library of costs. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Makes sense. My, so my issue with it was always like for HVAC <laughs> because <laughs> you have no idea how much how much structural damage you're going to do trying to get your trunk lines from one side of the house to the other or the building to the other. You know, and it was always like, I, used to, I was a hers raider. And people would ask me all kinds of, you know, hey, give me a price for this. And I'd be like, I, I can't do, I can't do it. I can't do it because I don't know how much damage I'm going to cause. <laughs> and there was always, like, even at some of the jobs that we've worked on together, mm -hmm. there's damage trying to get mechanical systems sure. from one side to the other Yeah, with these plans that aren't complete. Yeah. drives me crazy. The, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, including, including those estimates during that plan design process is probably huge. It's kind of like one of my questions that we were talking about is how, tell us how important when you look through architecture and we're getting, because I, I, I'd like to think that you're involved much sooner than just bidding a set of plans, right? We're looking at the plans we're helping develop them. Um, and then when you, when you go through, how important is it that the plans are accurate for not only bidding, but also like marketing material for the salespeople and, and then obviously CDs to build from? How, how important is it that you get in early? I probably have a unique perspective in that I do have the architectural background. So I really try to marry the design piece to the purchasing piece. And I'm used to writing specs during the schematic development, product development stages of a brand new house type or a collection of house types, whatever that might be. You're looking for consistency, consistency to the extent that it makes sense that you're not compromising design or that you're not creating um, a unique position for the product. Um, you are looking for materials that are real, that they're not drawing a garage door that doesn't exist. <laughs> and then, and then yes. it gets interpreted differently along the way that you know all of the information, what materials are going to achieve the look of the house, the color schemes, all of that is being talked about in the early stages of product development, community planning, architecture. And if we can catch all of that during schematics, 50%, have those conversations early, again, the drawings get tighter and tighter. And we're giving the architect the actual model number, manufacturer, yeah, awesome. brand name, whatever that is, of as many of the products as we can. We're thinking about how those manufacturers also position themselves in the marketplace. We know that there's a huge volume of 8080 sliding glass doors, and they're actually more cost-effective than a 5068. Hmm. In some, really? Sometimes for some manufacturers, they all have a sweet spot. So what you want to learn over time is you become an expert and you do partner with these people. And that's another reason to partner with people is whatever your design intent is, what are you trying to achieve? You pick products that do that based on whether hmm. it's high-end, low-end, specialty design, colors of materials, who is the most cost-effective, who is local to your marketplace, you can strategically develop those relationships based on a variety of design intent as long as you have those relationships and knowledge of the products over time. <laughs> and and each, each brand is always trying to compete or reinvent themselves as well. So when one manufacturer comes out with a product and sees oh, it yeah. gets wild success, then everybody's going to try and do that if it makes sense. Some of them will look at you and go, are you crazy? They're going to lose Hey, let's talk about leadership for a second. So one of the things that we ask from time to time is when you think about a leader or you look back to the people that have led you in your life, um, what kind of traits did they, uh, did they have in common? Wow. Um, inspirational. Yeah. 
um, innovative, always looking for a better way to do something. That definitely is how I would describe you. So that's, you know, I mean, that's like one of those things that I say all the time about Patty. Like I can tell that you truly want to improve each thing that you touch. And that's amazing because it's not, I have a shirt I've talked about on this podcast hung on the wall in my office. It says, sure, let's do it the dumbest way possible. So it could be, (laughs) so it could be easier for you. Not change for not change for the sake of change because there are a lot of people right. who just want to do stuff different because you've yeah. been doing it the same way forever. You don't want somebody who says, "Well, we've always done it that right. way," Thank but you. you want to be thinking about what you see happening around you and mm. how to be evolutionary and inspirational, um, open to new ideas. So, where a, you- a good listener. Architects are great listeners. I'm always impressed with the number of ideas that get thrown at them in a room when you're developing product, for example, and how they know what to come back with. I always feel like architects aren't necessarily good listeners. They're just waiting for their opportunity to say, did you look in the details? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a fair question. And me to answer, no, but I will. No. What what page is that on? Yeah, no. Um, Uh. uh, Honestly, sometimes we don't either. You know, you get focused on one thing. Um, Steady. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, people... I have a tendency to like to get people real excited and my personality leans that way all the time because there's a lot of energy and there's just stuff flowing through my head all the time. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I need that um, counter personality to keep me right here in a little bit oh, level and yeah. then again, rein me back in. Um, so I, I like, <laughs> I, I like collaboration. I like that spirit. Um, so, so you, we should not be doing any of this isolated by any one of our industry disciplines. When we start product development and when we end and say, this is our mission, this is what we're trying to accomplish at this job. Everybody in the room should be contributing and representing their portion of the industry. And even though we might have different ideas, when you close the book and walk out of the room, we all need to have closed it on the same page. Right. And the best the best thing about that collaboration is of all the ideas that might have been presented, which I sometimes call skeet, somebody's got to pull. Uh, <laughs> all right. Right. And sometimes you just got to get the conversation started and so you, you just, just throw, throw something out there, out there right. and see where it takes everybody right. because yeah. sometimes people, you got to get it started. But by the time that you leave the room, everybody knows what to do and they respect there's a point of contact. Mm-hmm. Everybody's not turning back around and calling that architect or calling that other trade partner and mm-hmm. giving them totally different direction, right. which confuses them as well. So that all those ideas, even the ones that didn't get selected, my favorite thing is is when all of the decisions were good choices oh. because you <laughs> just worked them through yeah. and everybody got their say. And you might have said, oh, this is awesome and this served us well here. And then sales might go... Yeah, but you know what? This marketplace is a little bit different. So let's take that and tweak it. And here's where we really should be. And everybody goes, oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, and it's, we see that, you know, it, you can tell just from this conversation, that those leaders that you have attributes that you try to use, it, it it's impactful for the people around you. And it makes a big difference when you collaborate and you get the factors. That's a common thing that we've heard when we ask a leadership question. Yeah. It's, 
it's asking the people that work with and for you what they need so that they can be happy and successful. And that's what a good leader does, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's truly what a good leader does because it gives you the best results for everybody. Patty, it has been great. This is really cool. Re- really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I feel like there's just a, a ton of stuff that I don't know about what I do for a living. And I feel like this gives me a little <laughs> bit more knowledge on my own side. I feel like everybody that's going to listen to this will think that too, because I'm sure they get a set of plans. The subcontractors show up on their job sites, they start working and they don't really fully grasp what it takes to get to that point. I was going to agree with you that there's a ton of stuff you don't know about <laughs> how to make a living about anything. or whatever. <laughs> No, I appreciate and I'm sure all purchasing managers appreciate when they can have that connection with a construction team or any of the teams in their office or get that support or feedback. That makes all the difference in how we are able to execute and achieve what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, no, I think that that collaboration, you mentioned it earlier, that collaboration between architecture and construction and purchasing and sales and warranty, it's got to be there or you just have a disjointed team. And you're really not going to put out the best product possible. That's but right. when, when you've got that team atmosphere, everything gets better. Everything gets easier. Um, I, I just think that uh, everybody out there, every construction manager listening to this podcast needs to go out, reach out to their purchasing manager, buy them lunch, yeah. something. Or maybe your boss, your project manager, your owner of the company you work directly for is the purchasing manager. I mean, let's face it. There's, there's lots of different projects that are purchased by one person and also executed by one person. But definitely if there's more than one doing it, you need to connect with them and understand what they're doing. Absolutely. Huge part of what we're talking about. Purchasing can be tough. They're not always heard or invited to the conversation. They're asked to execute. They might not know the story. I would encourage every purchasing person to want to know the story ask somebody that they feel comfortable with, um, go out and see as much as you can see about what's actually occurring Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on site in the field, what's actually happening because it doesn't always turn out on paper the way that we thought it would. No. And, um, (laughs) and you, I think you have to be, um, appreciative of the challenges that a sales team or a construction team experience every day being in front of a customer And over the years, I've really learned to understand and appreciate nobody wants to do anything wrong. Nobody tried to make a mistake. And (laughs) if somebody asks a question and you're looking at, you talked about, did you look at the detail? Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe they did. And when I look at the detail and the elevation and the detail and the plan, none of them match. Well, maybe that's why they didn't know what to do. So sometimes you have to look back on yourself and put yourself in the shoes of the rest of your teammates Mm-hmm. who you've asked to take the next step from That's what awesome. you delivered to them for them to deliver to the next person. I always like to keep overlap between each of the teams through the stages that the processes go through. So you start with an architect and purchasing. Then the the experts become purchasing and construction. Then you turn it over to the next stage and the new team of experts becomes per, uh, production and sales. Yeah. And everybody is supporting each other. And if you can't find the answer with your teammate, you take it back one more step from where it came from, and that person should be able to help you. But I where it. I knew the most about it at one stage, the next person became the person who knew more about it than sure. I did. So as you dig deeper into it and you actually build it, you become the person who now knows everything about that house. Yeah. Oh, I'm good at that. I assume I know everything. <laughs> I assume I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, so don't be afraid to ask questions. 
always offer constructive feedback. If your mm-hmm. feedback is constructive and not critical, you will be received in a very different way as a purchasing yes. person. I, I, and that goes for construction managers as well. Yep. You know, I know a ton of guys that are like, oh, what are they doing? They don't know what they're doing. I'm like, dude, you, you know, no idea. Be nice. <laughs> ask if you have questions, ask, you know, don't just sit here and complain about it. You know, right. Uh, like it's collabor- collaboration and understanding and communication is yeah. like the reoccurring theme of the month here is if we do it, we're going to be better because of it. It's awesome. awesome. Patty, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks we for really having you guys. It. You're awesome. Great. We are awesome. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to the show today, guys. I hope you loved it. There was a ton of information that Patty put out there. It was really, really informative. As always, check out TrueWork.com. Their gear is awesome. I guarantee you're going to love it. Don't forget to go to BuilderTactics.com. Check it out. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it.